Hi everyone. Now my name is Laura Boyd. Welcome to Maven Capital Partners podcast in Vested. I'm an entertainment reporter. I've interviewed everyone from the likes of Rod Stewart to Harrison Ford, but this podcast is a little bit different because here I'm chatting to entrepreneurs and CEOs at the helm of some of the UK's fastest growing companies. Now, I don't just get stories of their business. I want to find out about how they got to where they are today, their success, their failures and everything in between. It really is a fascinating insight into the people behind these companies. And today's episode is no different because I'm chatting to the brilliant Luke Pargeter. He is CEO of the company I Am Compliant. Now that is a web-based company that has built a tool specifically for the education sector. And having worked in facilities management for many years, Luke wanted to simplify the way compliance should be managed. And boy, has he done that. He is an absolutely driven man. And uh, you are going to be really inspired by this, I think. So have a listen. Luke, thank you so much for joining us on the Invested podcast. First of all, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. And um, I've had a very interesting time reading your backstory. My goodness, uh, you have been working since the age of five, which just bamboozled me. But anyway, we'll come back to that. We always start this podcast by asking people how they start their day. So tell me a bit about what time you get up, how you kind of kick things off. So I generally get up around about seven o'clock. Well, the alarm goes off at seven o'clock. I generally get out of bed about about 20 past seven. By that time, the wife and kids are already getting ready to go to school. And um, and on a good day, on a good day, they, there'll be no sort of uh, commotion in the house. <laughs> and um, and so generally, if that's if there is commotion in the house, then generally I, I intervene. And then I generally take the kids to school and have it all out with them whilst in the car. Um, and um, and yeah, and then and then I come back, grab myself a coffee, sit down, and off I go. Take me back. You said that you started working from the age of five. Is that right? It was essentially uh, something that I probably um, just to get me out of the house that I would go with my dad. There was no sort of rules and regulations there. My dad's an electrician. Yeah. Um. So he kind of used to work for the co-op, doing all their sort of jobbing maintenance, and then he went self-employed in 1981. And um, and basically had the uh, had the ability to be able to obviously take me to work. So so that's what I would do. And and I and I like I said there was no there was no um, uh, I had absolutely no issue at all about it. I really love spending time with him. And I really like I said there was no he was he was very much a uh, I, I'm going to say a, a bit of a taskmaster. So I would be on the sort of hammer and bolster because he was like chopping out walls and chopping in sockets and what have you. But but you get to know all of his sort of, I suppose, his network and his friendship group and understanding about how all the trades come together and and that sort of thing. And, and so summer holidays, I'd go with him and uh, sort of weekends occasionally I'd go with him as well. But 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 the, all they knew was work. All my yeah. parents knew was work. And um, and I think that was what um, all, me and my sisters, all of my sisters, we all we, we've all got a good work ethic. You're obviously a very creative person, but did you start to get a buzz when you could see the success coming in, when you could see the money coming in? Was that a thrill? Like I said, I look back now, I just, I love what I do. I, if I didn't, if I didn't love what I did, I wouldn't do it. I, yeah. I'm that, that sort of, obviously straight down the line, I just wouldn't do it. And so when I was looking at these other things, it was, I always, you always sort of dream big and you always think, so if I want, if I wanted to go and do the, the best secondhand furniture business, 
whilst I was sort of um, uh, evenings and weekends or what with my mum and with the night tremors out and getting all this stuff, then I'd want it to be the best. Do you know what I mean? I want to go and do yeah. the best I could at the possible thing. So that was more what I think I was striving for rather than um, rather than obviously the money. Did you go to university after school, Luke? Yeah, I did, yeah. So so I went to Manchester. Yeah. Um, so again, a bit of a bit of a gap. There was a bit of a gap in terms of me. So I finished school. And again, when I was at, when I was at school, I did. I didn't. You, you don't know what you want to do. I suppose when you're when you're thinking, when you're thinking, uh, I suppose I'm going to say entrepreneurially, if that's a word. There was no real sort of clear cut thing that I wanted to do. Everybody in my school was was going off to be international sports people, and they 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 did. They went off and became international sports people because it was a it was a sports school. Yeah. Um. And um. And so there was never really a sort of a clear. Uh, idea about where I was going to go I was always interested in business obviously and um, and so by the time I actually sort of got my act together um, I'd had sort of two years or so of growing up as well so I didn't sort of apply to university till I was 20 mm-hmm. then I went off to um, then I went off to university but I suppose at the end what the, the difference being between me finishing school and me going to university is so if you like I said if you go back to 96 when I left school 96 my school, the year before, was the the year before I left was the first year that the school had implemented a computer suite. So that it was it had didn't have it had computers, but it didn't have a dedicated room with a computer suite in there. Yeah. And it just meant that in my upper sixth year, I could do a lot more on a computer. There was no internet, obviously. Um, and and so it just it just seemed a lot easier. So when I went to when I left school and um uh, interesting story when I left school I, I basically had um, I fell off the stage in my A-level exam for, for theatre studies again I wow. didn't know what I was doing so I did I did sports studies theatre studies and art um, as A-levels because I didn't know what I wanted to do really I just wanted to stay at the school um, and then um, and then I fell off stage and and I tore my meniscus in my knee um, which is effectively it's a cartilage basically and um, and what happens when you tear your cartilage your knee locks and so, so I had this locked knee, and um, unfortunately, um, because I because I I'd loved sport, my parents again, like I said, they couldn't they couldn't afford it they couldn't afford it, but they actually paid they paid for me to go and get it fixed on the NHS. It it, it would have taken it would have taken months to get an appointment even then. Yeah. Um, but my parents knew how much sport meant to me because I really really loved sport and the competitive nature of sport as well. So, um, and I was playing playing a really good level of football at the time as well at, at that point in time. Um, and, uh, and so they paid for me to go and get it done. So, um, so I went to get it done and, uh, and then there was a three month recovery period, but to my dad, to my dad, that's a three day recovery period. <laughs> effectively, I finished school. I had my operation. I was back home. The operation was a day in day out thing. Had my operation, came back, sort of, um, tried to sort of hobble around the, the house on crutches. And then, um, day four of my summer holiday in my, after finishing my A-levels, the covers were ripped off of me about sort of seven, seven fifteen in the morning. Come on, you're coming with me. And that was it. And that, and I was wow. and I went and I got into his van. And then um he basically he was running everything either from from home or the van. And then we were looking, he well, he was looking at um one of his friends who owns who owned these big industrial units and basically said, Can you come and run this industrial unit for me? Because I don't really want to be here all, all the time, just sort of be a be a be the sort of caretaker of the building and I'll give you a small office at the front. So, so we took that and then I went and sat over there and then I said, there's so many different things you can do. Cause my mum was on a typewriter with yeah. carbon paper. 
there's, there's so many different things you could do to make this business a little bit better than what it is in the sort of the back office. I know what it's like at the front office, to, obviously the front of house to, to, to actually do the job, but have you not thought about getting a computer? The school had a computer and it was so, uh, so, so, so that's what we ended up doing. We, my, my dad sort of th- thought, all right, well, listen, what you've got to do. So then I sort of hobbled into town, went and bought a computer um, on a, um, uh, on like on the drip and then yeah. um, brought it back. And then we had a computer and then it just meant that my mum could do less. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of, it sort of got me more into the office and that yeah. recovery period that I had was then in the office. And I was, I suppose I had a three month window of trying to impress the old man. Cause he knew I could do the job out on the, uh, out in the field. But actually, it's me about sort of impressing my dad to say, um, I, have you got, have you thought about doing this any differently than what it is now? Anyway, two years on. So he'd gone from, like I said, it was, it was him and this band of merry men since 1981. Um, and then two years on, uh, when I decided I was going to go back to university, the business, the business had gone up to like 11 people then, sort of 10, 11 people. So 11 people, if you include me, going out and about occasionally as well. So so um so we kind of grown it and then I sort of said to my dad look I really I really think that I just want to go to university I don't and 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 um he was a bit like I said I think he sort of felt I was leaving a bit in the lurch a little bit but, yeah uh, but he basically said uh it's fine so I went off to do university and I was going to uh, end the university I was going to stay for an extra year fortunately I didn't because I came back and my wife and I got together, but I was going to stay an extra year. But he just basically said, he basically said, look, I need you back in the family business. Yeah. Come back. Um, and it's too much for me. Um, and uh, and his, his health was struggling a little bit as well. So so uh, so I didn't I didn't do an, another year that I could have done at university. And I came back and yeah, the rest is history. Really. But we fast forward to now. Tell me how I am compliant comes to be and how you come to be involved in this. So, so I am, I am stands for intelligent asset management. So, um, so just to, if I go back to when, like I said, if I go, if I give you the very, very sort of brief overview of sort of 2003 to 2007, I came back from university, uh, went to university in 2000, came back 2003. And, um, and then um, we started to get more meaty contracts in my, in the electrical contractor business. And then when I came back, because I'd made the commitment to come back, my dad actually gave me 10% of the business as well. We didn't always want to be an electrical contract business. At this point in time, like I said, I came back 2003. We'd gone up to like about, around about 20 engineers, 20 and a couple of people in the start in the sort of in the office as well. And um, and so uh, so it was quite a it was like I said, quite a meaty sort of business. At yeah, that point. it built. And so, um, but it was electrical contracting business, and you're only reliant on on your worst engineer, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You're only reliant on your worst worst engineer out in the field, and you get a bad reputation. Obviously, it all goes down the pan. So we were looking around for different things to do, and then we got a call from somebody that was running running a site in Bristol. He'd left the co-op, and he'd gone around to various other places. He'd gone into facilities management, and he was. He was based at a sort of large tourism attraction in the centre of Bristol called At Bristol and, and also another site called The Pavilion. So he sort of shared his time between there. So he said, look, can you come and do a fixed wire test, which is basically an electrical inspection of, of At Bristol? Um, could you come and do a price for it? So we went and looked at the price for it. And then just I got chatting to him and then uh, I sort of and he was like, oh, I knew your dad from this this way back and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And, um, and, I, and I said, oh, do you want to? I said, look, we're looking at different things. I said, facilities management is something we're always contacted by facilities management companies to work for them. I said, but I think there's a real alignment into what we're doing as electrical yeah. engineers and, and facilities management. Do you want to have a conversation? I said, do you ever feel that you might be, you might, there might be more that you could do? And he was like, 
yeah, all right, I'll have a, we'll have a, have a chat. So we had a chat and basically I managed to convince him to come out of there, come out of, he was working for AMEC. So he was, uh, AMEC was the contractor that had the um, massive company, massive billion pound com plus company. Um, he they, they had the contracts at the pavilions, which was basically the data center for the FTSE and, uh, and at Bristol. And so um, he basically came out of there. And then uh, we basically, one of the reasons why we had to sort of, we, what, what we were originally going to do was we were going to convert my dad's business into a facilities management company by yeah. rebranding it, retraining the engineers that were in there as well, because they're electrical engineers. So you could train them up in mechanical bias as well, if you wanted to. I've spoken to a few people, like, oh, you just took over your dad's business. No, we didn't. We took over my, we took over a business that had three decently sized customers. Yeah. So um, Land Security, South Gloucester Council and British Gas or Centrica. But as soon as they found out we were facilities management companies, they almost cut us off. Right. So, um, so it wasn't really. It was almost we we'd almost. I'm not going to say we bought a dead duck. We didn't but it, we had three years worth of accounts, which meant that we could go and tender for other works. Yeah. So, yeah. so we drew a line in in the sand on on January the first, um, on January the first, two thousand and seven, and and then we basically we did a new business in that year we did 1.8 million pounds in our first year and thought right wow. we got a business here yeah my goodness um, I'm say sort of fortune fortune favors the brave i'm gonna say but i'll say fortune favors the brave, but it's just luck that 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 the 2008 crisis hit yeah and that was really quite lucky for us it sounds weird but it was because all of a sudden the world stopped building new buildings and mm -hmm. they started managing them properly. So as a facilities management company, we, it was absolutely ideal. Yeah. And we, were, we, were, we basically, we got, we got in with some large real estate companies, some large property agents, um, notably a big one that basically eventually got sold called King Sturge. Um, they got bought out by Joe Van Lassell, but um, we got in with King Sturge and, uh, and it was, we just, we were really, really, really dominating the Southwest um, in terms of because they had a load of buildings in the southwest, they were very sort of regionally based, and um, and we used to manage pretty much most of their buildings. We just just reputation all the time. If there was something to need to be doing, even if I was in the office to go and do things, so I went over, for example, uh, me um, me and two others went over to Cardiff for the building they had in the, in Cardiff that um, we went to go and, um, we had to go and reinstall the, this um, large distribution board um, for the like a commercial distribution board unit. So. So we just everybody would be all hands on deck, and that's why we got to that point where we did so well in the first year. Then it just went on from there. I've always been interested in tech, but um, but I never thought I'd build my own app. But but we we built a, we built this sort of app in FileMaker to basically allow schools to report faults to us to monitor how compliant they were because of the job that we were doing. Yeah, because there was a big there was a big requirement for them to actually buy into what we were doing and knowing what we were doing was correct. So we had to give some sort of reporting mechanism on there. So. So we did that and they absolutely loved it. But after a year, schools just did not understand facilities management at mm -hmm. all. They didn't understand outsourcing. They thought everybody thinks they're having them over, um, but um, they don't understand the principle of, of, or didn't understand the principle of outsourcing, but they loved the app. So they said, is there any chance we can keep the app? I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, fine. If you buy the iPad off of us, you can, you can, you can keep the app. So they did that. And then, um, and then I sort of went back and I always knew that, that tech was, was, was where, was, and the Internet of Things and that kind of stuff was starting to become a thing as well. I always knew that that was where FM was going, facility yeah. management was going. So I went back to I went back to business partner and said, um, said I think this is the direction of travel we're going in. I was the strategic one. He was the sort of the guy on the ground. Yeah, the drive. And um, and so and so 
and he was just completely against it absolutely completely against it just and 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 there was there was that there was a couple of couple of other things so i just said all right well we're going to sell the business then because I, I do believe in this so yeah. um so um so the, my wife was having a baby or she wanted to have a baby she, so rubes came along my daughter came along as well so it was like i didn't my son was born in 2007 when we launched the business and i and i didn't really get spend enough time as what i wanted to with him anyway yeah. daughter was coming along that was affected by mind he wanted to bring in his his son um eventually to to sort of to 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 take over his sort of side of the business and i was like no 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 so all all these different things so i just said look let's just sell the business yeah so um uh so we, so we did that and um and basically that gave me um a uh a, a basically a window of like 2 years to to follow my dream i suppose mm-hmm. Um, in the background to think that I could actually go and build something which is which which I think I know the target audience in schools I know they liked what we did there um, whether they were ready for it at that point in time was another thing but essentially I am was born off the back of of me having that sort of I'm going to say failure I'm going to call it failure failure with schools yeah in the sense that they didn't and they didn't really know what full facilities management was that was a failure that we lost them because we never lost contracts never yeah. lost contracts customer service has always been absolutely tip-top and the quality of engineers we used to have were brilliant. Training was a massive thing. We used to train them all the time, and um, and and yeah. So we just ended up having uh, we went on a sort of separate ways, and um, yeah, here we are today with I am. I, I set up I am and went live with it in twenty sixteen. Want to know with I am? You took on external funding as someone who's kind of I feel done it very much themselves it's very much been kind of family and things like that how was that taking on external funding for the company uh yeah it was difficult to begin with but so i funded it i funded everything when you when you run a tech business you you appreciate you you appreciate that there is going to be a lot of um uh it, it will drain a lot of cash resources so in my eyes the um the 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 journey to actually have an investor almost became inevitable really i'm going to say because i funded it to i funded it to 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 a point where i got it i got it off the ground um and i just needed that extra layer of not only money but also experience from somebody so um so we actually had an angel investor first um and and they kind of joined and the experience was absolutely invaluable that was number 1 and then obviously maven joined and that really really supercharged where we were at it really it meant that we could we could do so much more we could we knew where the market was placed i wouldn't ever say go and build something without really i mean i don't suppose an investor would ever go in and invest into something that didn't have product market fit anyway but but you really really need to know your market and know where you're going to spend the money um to get an investor on board and um and i think that i would certainly in tech i would be a huge advocate that it is not you can't just do it on your own there are other people that need to be involved sensible people as well that can because tech can run away with you very very easily um uh and i suppose in other businesses you can as well i don't know if i don't know if an investor investor would have worked in at my old fm company the management team were too strong to allow somebody else come to come in that weren't giving some kind of shareholder value yeah um so so i think um and you like i said you, you don't really uh you can't really grow a tech business these days i don't think without having uh a, that 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 extra um firepower i suppose in the in the bank to be able to afford to go and do these weird and wonderful things that 
that you've got plans for that won't ever happen unless you've actually got that that level of of funding in in, in place as well. I mean, some businesses really sort of strike gold, don't they? And just and, and they do do really really well on on day one, and they get business uh, they get signups all over the place. But then there's another story, isn't it? It's a different story. You want yeah. you want to go from there. You want to go from there. And, it, yeah. and and then that will need extra funding as well. But and then it might have just been luck, et cetera. So I think a, a, an investor is not just somebody that brings money. It's somebody that somebody that brings uh, a wealth of information and a network as well. So that's the real value that we've got from it. And as someone who's clearly you've always got your finger on the pulse, you're always looking ahead. Are you happy with where I am compliant is just now or what's the goal? Where do you want to take it? Really, and I'm really, really happy where it is at the moment. Um, we've got, I suppose, the, the 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 there's been an element of um, if I'd have looked back, if if I'd looked back to where we were into before pre investment, I suppose, versus where we are now, and the team of people that it's enabled us to 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 build with with um, obviously the the increased revenue that we've got from from all the work that we're doing. Um, and obviously the comfort blanket of knowing that that we can afford to do these things now um, early stage without having to sort of go out and that there's a really, really, really pleased with, with, with where we are now. Um, there is so much more that we can do. We have got a real passion for schools in our business and um, and there is so much more that we can do for schools because schools are in a, a big, uh, they're in this sort of, I mean, there's a reason why school buildings is third on the school um, on the Department of Education's risk register, and it has been for the last two years. It's because they're 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 rapidly declining and they just need help. Mm-hmm. And so, I, me personally, and the business, I would want to in the, the future, no matter what happens, I want to stay in that sector. Yeah. I think I really love working with anybody in schools. They're really really easy to get on with. They love what we do. They appreciate every single thing that we do for them. And I think that the um, the whole kind of um, purposeful uh, led side of the business that that actually we know that we're doing something we're giving back to, to to a community of people that really need our help is really really something to take away. And I do feel a great value in it. And like I said, knowing that my mum's a teacher, my sister's a teacher, um, I know that they obviously do appreciate their help as well. Can you enjoy a work life? balance now or are you still that kind of same workaholic that you've been since you were young and that you saw your dad do have you got a better work-life balance do you think uh so when you again it's that same old cliche that when you enjoy what you do it's not work is it it's not work so so my my kids my kids I've got the I've I've built everything around me now so I've got I work from home I've got there's two offices I work from home though and my kids see me every day whether I take them to school whether I pick them up whether I go watch them play matches in the afternoon that's that's what I would say balance but I don't I don't I think nothing of finishing at 10 11 o'clock at night once they've gone to bed etc and done these different things so there's no um I just yeah no just love it there's no the work-life balance is is coming up growing up in a family where everything was about work and um I think that I look back now and I think that I got I think I've got a great foundation for my parents and I think that going forward the um my parents uh sort of instilled this thing around liking loving what you do I suppose not liking what you do but loving what you do and I do love what I do and whilst that's still the case I don't think it's work so it's just a a life life balance to me so it's uh, all good I think loving what you do is so key and it's so nice to hear this story and, and hear how passionate you are and long may it continue thank you so thank much, you much. Luke it's been so interesting thank you thank you very much as well I really have appreciate a great the time. day thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> cheers
Well, wasn't it brilliant to hear from Luke? What an inspirational man. But we've got more of that. So before you go, remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to find out more about people like Luke, then go to mavencp.com to see what else we have on offer. Thank you.